So that's uh... <laughs> um, Well, welcome to tea time. And tonight we are back on Zoom. That's right, we are on Plan B. You see things happen. Technology always happens. So, but Miss Liz has a backup. And I am joined with the beautiful Marilyn Crate. And we're going to talk about grief and all of that good stuff and her <laughs> memoirs and how uh, the difference is between a memoir and an author, like an, a children's book, uh, science mm -hmm. fiction. We're going to get right into that. So before we get started, we're going to do all of the good stuff. Everyone knows the routine, the disclaimer of Miss Liz. And then we're going to do a beautiful video that I've created for Marilyn to put with her links later on when we're done the show. So if you have any questions or anything, leave them in the comments and Miss Liz will get them, that's for sure. And we will get those out there. So the disclaimer for Miss Liz's Tea Time live shows. Miss Liz is going live using YouTube. So before leaving a comment, please grant YouTube permission to see your name at youtube.com. Please be advised that the content brought forward for any Tea Time show hosted by myself, Miss Liz, is always brought forward in good faith. However, may bring forth dialogue and opinions that are not representative of my platform. The facts and information are perceived to be accurate at the given time of airing. All Tea Time guests and audience participants are responsible for using their good judgment in taking any action that may relate to the discussion. The content brought forward for may include discussion for some where they may be emotionally at risk. It is significant to know that this show is engaging in discussion forms only to offer and inspire awareness and connection and is not providing therapeutical advice. If you have any questions about the disclaimer or the panelist discussion, you may freely contact me, Miss Liz, through my email at bookingmissliz at gmail.com. Moving forward, should you choose to voluntarily participate in tonight's show or any in any aspect, I myself, Miss Liz, welcomes you. And should you decide that the show is not made for you at this time, I respect that and I will see you at a later show at a later date and time. And again, all tea times this year are on Thursday unless they are rescheduled tea times. So be sure to check out that. So now let's get a little bit into Marilyn Crate. Who is Marilyn Crate? Well, after a colorful year spent in four continents and 16 cities working as a cook, chambermaid, waitress, fish, fisherwoman, missionary, speaker, teacher, tutor, and academic writing editor, she now lives in British Columbia with her super supportive husband and two attentive seeking cats. She has two grown kids and a beloved grandchild, all living too far away. I, I get that, living too far. <laughs> her favorite activities, writing and dreaming. She in, she's enjoys hiking, cycling, blogging, playing word games, watching documentaries, having deep talks, and reading other people's memoirs. Her poetry and nonfiction, nonfiction have appeared in The Lyrics, Storyteller, The Eastern Iowa Review, The English Bay Review, and Berviti Blog, and long reads. So again, a beautiful, beautiful bio and a beautiful woman sitting here. So let's just get and spill some tea. Let's really get out there. But before we do that, we're going to get into a little video and we're going to share. So sit back, enjoy. We're just going to get that going for you all. Review, the English Bay Review and Berviti blog and long reads. So again, a beautiful, beautiful bio and a beautiful woman sitting here. So let's just get and spill some tea. Let's really get out there. But before we do...
And there we are. I'm not sure if the video played correctly or not, but we're, we're going <laughs> to get it. It's up there. I will fix any edits that need to be fixed. So again, Marilyn, welcome to Tea Time. It is an honor to have you here. So uh, share a little bit on who you are and how it all began on how you started writing memoirs. Okay. Well, I'll start by saying, um, like you, I'm a Canadian, uh, but I've lived a lot of years outside of Canada and I've had a very, let's say, unconventional life, um, starting um, even, even as a child, I was very independent and um, kind of did a lot of things kind of ahead of schedule, really wanted to be a hippie, had a lot of conflict and struggle with my, especially with my relationship with my mother. And so um, it, it led to me running away at 14 and um, running away to Vancouver actually, and ending up eventually in a girl's home run by nuns. And so for about six years, I was completely estranged from my family. Um, they, they, at the girls' home, they tried to reconcile me with my mom, but it was just kind of, it, it was just not happening. So, um, yeah, so I grew up kind of fast that way. And then at 16, um, they decided I was ready to be out on my own. So they just kind of let, sent me out loose into the world. And um, I started working full time, actually two jobs. And um, at that point, I'd just finished grade 11. I had every intention of going back to finish high school. But then when I got into the working world, I just found that I enjoyed it so much that I didn't feel very motivated to go back to school. A decision that I really regret looking back, but at the time it seemed like you know, the direction I was going. Um, so I was, uh, yeah, so I was on my own at 16. And then um, she, a lot of this story is what I'm, is kind of what I'm telling this first memoir. Uh, takes, me up to age, takes me up to age 24. Um, so, um in my yeah in my early 20s I ended up falling deeply in love with a man named Jack and he became kind of the, the person that filled in all the gaps in my life he, he kind of compensated for what I didn't have with my family what I didn't have with my parents um he was about eight years older than me he was extremely um I was just very devoted and supportive and brought out the best in me and helped me sort of view myself through new eyes and have newfound confidence and so on. And anyway, we had a very profound and deep love with each other and planned to, planned to marry. And um, one of our first plans together was a long distance bicycle trip to South America. So we set off on that trip um, in 1976. Seven, I think, or so, and um, we cycled about three thousand miles, and it was amazing. And then he had had cancer before that point, but we didn't. We kind of blew it off and thought it was over with, over and done, and didn't didn't even think it was. You know, we th just felt like it was a past chapter. But the cancer returned, and so it ended up um, canceling our trip. And then within a few months, he died, and. Um, that loss for me was so profound and so overwhelming. Um, like he was my whole life, he was everything. And I, I think what happened was I couldn't, I wasn't in a place, I wasn't mature enough or ready to deal with the grief. So what I did was within a, a week or two of him dying, I got back on my bicycle and started riding off by myself on all these adventures with 
me and my bike here. It's actual picture taken when I was on those journeys. And um, I kind of just threw myself into that and tried to cycle my way into, um, I guess, into finding a new chapter, a new purpose, whatever. Um, and I had a lot of amazing adventures on those. Uh, that was kind of a long extended trip that covered a couple of years off and on. And then um, I, I guess I thought that I had dealt with the grief by doing that, but in fact, I hadn't dealt with it at all. I pushed it down really deep and really far. And what happened was I ended up um, becoming a Christian when I was 24, meeting my husband a few months later, um, my future husband. Um, within a year of meeting him, we were married and I jumped into the full-time ministry with him and our lives got extremely, extremely busy. We were um, moving a lot, traveling a lot, sent, on, sent all, all over the world. And so for about 20 years, that grief just hid inside me. And I, you know, I think there were probably moments when it kind of tried to surface, but I just pushed it down, pushed it down, pushed it down. And then um, 20 years later, um, a few things kind of triggered it. Um, one of the big triggers was watching the movie Titanic. Um, the story of Jack and Rose sort of mirrored the relationship that I'd had with Jack. This kind of, you know, Jack rescues Rose and Rose rescues Jack and then, you know, Jack is gone. And so that movie really tripped a switch with me and a few other things happened and the grief just blew up in my life 20 years later and it felt as if Jack had just died. And I felt as if I was 22 years old again. And it was like this huge disconnect between what my life had become and who I was. And I was a very, like I was involved in the ministry. I was always just with people all the time and giving and serving and encouraging and helping and um, ignoring my own needs for, for the most part. Um, yeah, there's this big disconnect between the Maryland that went, kind of went underground when Jack died and the Maryland that had been functioning since then. And so when this grief came up again, it was totally overwhelming and very inappropriate. I mean, I'm married now, I've got two kids. Um, there's really no space in, in my life to grieve, but the grief was very insistent and um, I needed to deal with it. I, I, it. I was just basically dysfunctional. I was crying all the time, I was falling apart. I couldn't push it away any longer. And so, um, yeah, so as far as writing the books, um, the first book, Paradise Road, tells that story up to- um, Okay, so Paradise Road is the first book. Is the first book, yeah. Okay. And that one tells basically tells my troubled, adventurous childhood, my running away, my time in the girls' home, my first long, uh, long my first boyfriend for three and a half years. My hippie adventures, meeting Jack, our travels together, his death, my jumping back on the bike and uh, running away, cycling away, and then uh, the amazing things that God did to kind of pull me back in and and point me to Him. So that's where that book ends. And then, and I I kind of always knew um, that I was going to write that story one day, but just because, well, I mean, one main reason was just a I thought it was quite an amazing story. There were a lot of um, pretty, you know, just unusual and funny and uh, interesting and tragic and 
just, I don't know, just, it just felt like it was worth writing a, writing a book memoir. So that I was kind of carrying with me for a long time. Well, and it helps with the grief as well, I find writing, right? Because we can express oh, yeah. ourselves without judgment. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people, when it's complicated grief, they're like, okay, well, this is like 20 years ago, get over it. You know, yeah. I've heard that a lot because yeah. like, complicated grief is a lot different than grief. You yes. know, and we don't speak yes. about the different types of griefs that are out there. And we I don't. think by having you write this memoir, Marilyn, it actually opens yeah. that door of other people understanding what complicated grief is. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's exactly why I wrote the, the second one. So the second one is called The Box Must Be Empty. And that basically picks up my story, you know, 20 years later, um, when the grief erupted in my life and, and almost basically, it really almost wiped me out. I mean, I, it, it's basically a survival, a survival tale. And one of the things that happened at that time was, um, I was, I went off to see this therapist and actually ended up moving a whole family. We were in the ministry and we were moved to a different city, we moved to Philadelphia so I could meet with this particular therapist who I had met with before when I was dealing with some, some grief about leaving Africa because we'd lived there for about six years and leaving was really, really hard for us. And um, so I went and saw him a bit about that. Um, and then I was referred back to him when this grief, this huge grief came up again. And he was great in terms, he was a great listener and I felt really comfortable with him. And I spent many, many hours in his office, weeping and crying and sharing and reading and journaling, whatever. But um, he wasn't really able to guide me very well through it. Um, I felt like we were both just kind of floundering (laughs) through this ocean and um, he was having his own issues. And um, a lot of times, you know, the advice he gave me would be very contradictory. What he say one thing one session and the next session be the opposite and whatever. And anyway, I was just starting to feel like I really need to figure out what it, even what it is I'm dealing with because I don't think the word complicated grief or delayed grief um, or another word disenfranchised grief yeah. ever came up with him. But one of the things I did at that point was I went to the library. This is pre-internet days for me, and I just started reading every book I could find about you know, grief and depression and whatever, and trying to figure out, trying to figure myself out. And um, I really didn't come across, even this whole delayed grief, I, I think I came across that term. Yeah. Um, but even then, when I read about it, there wasn't much written. And most of the time, it was kind of like, yeah, you know, most people deal with their grief in the first year, but for some people, it might not be for a couple years. And I'm like, a couple years, like I'm, here I am 20 years later, yeah. drowning in this grief. And I couldn't find a single example of anyone going through this, not one in a book or in real life. And when I told people what I was going through, people just gave me like the strangest looks. You know? And so at that point, I, I kind of made a mental note to myself, okay, one day, Marilyn, you're going to write a book about this because someone out there is going to need this book that you yourself can't find. And um, you know, when the time is right, you'll write that book too. So both books, I'd say, were books that I carried inside for a long time before I had the space in my life to start writing. And also, um, you know, a lot of people kind of will often say, oh, like, like you mentioned, it must be very therapeutic to write about grief. And it is very therapeutic to write when you're grieving. But I didn't start writing either of these books until I had really processed the grief through other means, other writing and other other ways and so when I sat down to write both books each book um I wasn't 
plowing my way through the grief again. I was writing about what I what it was like and what I learned and what I wanted to share with the world. Um, so, it, yeah, I mean, it was still an emotional journey, both writing both books, but it wasn't as if I was, you know, digging my way through the cave at that point. I was kind of I was kind of on the other end of things, and I felt like I've learned enough now that I've got something worth sharing with other people. Well, and, and you made a good point there too, Marilyn, that they, when you went looking in the libraries and stuff like that for research, you know, you didn't find very much out there and there isn't very mm -hmm. much out there. Uh, no. I do. I deal with complicated grief, too. And a lot of people are, well, get over it. It's 25 years. It's 30 years. Okay, yeah. Well, <laughs> grief doesn't have a time limit on it and it, right. it and it comes and goes when it wants. You have no control over it. Right. It's yeah. it, moments and smells and you know, yeah. location sometimes will set you off and say, you know what, I remember that, or I want to remember that. So yeah. grief is very complicated. And, and mm -hmm. even if it's one year or 20 years, it's complicated. Grief in period is just really complicated. And yeah. there's not enough out there about it. And and it definitely isn't. Yeah. So by yeah, even now, I mean, even now I go on the, I, so now we're, you know, we're now we're on the internet, we can do a lot more easy research. I still don't find very much written about oh. it. And I really hope I really, really do hope that this book will kind of open that door for discussion and um, just, yeah, just information and reassurance for people that are going through it. And I think there are probably a lot of people out there that are carrying around a lot of delayed and unprocessed and unfinished grief yeah. and don't even realize that that's what they're dealing with. Um, and I'm yeah. hoping that, not that I want to open up a can of worms in anyone's life, but <laughs> Um, no, but sometimes we have to open up those can of worms for people to understand that there is not education out there. There is no awareness yeah. out there. And this yeah. is what Tea Time is all about. It's bringing the awareness through our stories right. that, you know, we need more of it out there. Yeah. Uh, as as somebody who has gone through grief myself, I feel the same way, Marilyn, where there's not enough out there. And we mm -hmm. need the personal stories in order to understand we're, that we're not alone, right? Because when we go to mm -hmm. share and support groups, we're sharing our stories with people. So this is exactly yeah. what we're doing tonight is we're sharing our stories and we're, and we're getting it out there. Now, mm -hmm. I, I want to know what the difference is between a memoir and just a novel. Okay, well, a memoir, number one, has got to be true. Novel, you make everything up or you can draw from things and, you know, your experience, whatever. But novels are basically fiction. Memoirs are... Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the memoirs is really supposed to be telling, you know, always speaking the truth. Um, and there's a difference between a memoir and an autobiography. So an autobiography is basically just somebody telling, you know, the events in their life without a, maybe a particular theme um, that they're focusing on. Whereas a memoir will be more focused in terms of either a time period or a theme of things that have got like, you know, grief, for example, my second memoir is definitely... You know, one of the main themes is grief, also spiritual trauma. Um, and I deal with other things in that book too. I deal with um, sort of, uh, you know, perimenopause and that time of life and reinventing ourselves when our world, what happens when our world falls apart and we have to start over in middle age. I deal, I deal with that. And yeah, a lot of things that um, kind of tie that thematically together. So I'm not sharing every single thing that happened to me during that time. I'm sharing the events and incidents and things I've learned that relate to those themes. So, so yeah. there were questions that were sent in uh, prior because this is a rescheduled tea time and they wanted to know how you got the titles of your book. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, Paradise Road um, 
I had a bunch of different titles as I was working on the book and none of them kind of felt quite right. Um, and then uh, actually where the title came from is on, on my, actually turned out to be my last long bicycle trip. I was cycling by myself through um, parts of Idaho and Montana. And the part of the story where God starts kind of chasing me down, there a lot of very coincidental things start happening to me. And I was, I was, I just have to say this. I was, I was very, very, I was describe myself as I was a very spiritual person. Um, I was always interested in kind of, you know, the spiritual, you know, the unseen world, whatever, but I was very new agey and I was open to pretty much anything except Christianity. So God had to do a lot of things to sort of break down my resistance to that. Um, anyway, so part of that story, I was, uh, I met somebody that was trying to reach out and share the gospel with me, and I was very, very close to it. Um, and I, I kind of get away from from him, and um, he, he, I meet this guy in Montana, and he, he, he's a born again guy, and he, he tries to convince me to, he tries to share his faith with me, and then he, we have a campfire one night, and we talk for hours, and I'm telling him all about what I believe, and he's telling me what he believes, and we're just kind of like, you know. Neither one is changing anyone's mind one inch. And then um, what happened was the next morning, I, I, he said goodnight, he went off, he went back to town and wherever he lived, I didn't know. But um, so I crawled back in my tent and the next morning it started pouring rain. So I didn't get up and start riding away as I would have. Um, I waited till the rain stopped. I had no idea what time it was, didn't carry a watch, whatever, no cell phones those days. So anyway, so when the rain stopped, I packed up my tent and stuff, got, my, got on my bike cycled back into town and stopped at the first gas station to get coffee or whatever. And just as I'm coming out with my coffee, I hear, hey, Marilyn, over here. <laughs> and this guy, Scott, who's, who spent the previous evening trying to convert me, basically, is standing across the highway in front of his church, wearing a suit, holding his Bible and waving at me. And, and you know, I was enough of a believer in God to think, okay, God is wanting me to go into this church. Okay. So, yeah. so that brought me into the church. And so I go to this church group and, and um, it's a very, it's a very folksy little country church. And I cry and cry, not because uh, I want to be a Christian, but just crying. I think just feeling sad about my life and feeling like, Oh, these, these lovely little Christians have such a nice, simple little belief system. And Oh, wouldn't it be nice if I could, but I never could because I'm way beyond that. And like, it was a very prideful attitude, but yeah. Anyway, and then after church, you know, I think Scott saw me crying and thought, you know, she's getting, she's opening she's up. She's hooked in, she's in. <laughs> she's getting, she's in. I wasn't in at all, but anyway, he, he invited me out for lunch and I met a few of his friends and he's like, he really wanted me to stick around. I'm like, nope, you know, I'm glad I went to church. It was interesting and it was nice meeting you, but I'm off, you know, and he tried to give me a Bible and I'm like, nope, don't need the Bible, whatever. So I wrote off and about, um, yeah. So, but what happened was God was just kind of following me with these storm clouds. So I would, I was riding off and I kept getting stormed out and rained out and I have to pull away, pull, pull to the side of the road and stop. And so two or three days later, I'm in this little town called Paradise, Montana, actually not in the town, outside the town and camping on this hill, hill while it rains and rains and rains and thinking how ironic it is that I'm in a place called Paradise and I'm so miserable and alone and gee I wish I brought that bible I'd have something to read right now <laughs> so that was one of the moments in that journey so and what happened ended up happening is um you know after the rain stops in paradise I wrote I load up my bike again 
was three days later. I, I, I think I'll never see this Scott guy again. I ride into the next little town, park at the gas station, go inside to get something, come back out. And who would, who's sitting there in his pickup truck, but Scott, you know, this big grin telling me how he's been praying to the Lord to find me and he you know, spotted my bike and we're, you know, we're miles down the road from his town. Anyway, it was one of those God stories, right? So anyway, so that's where the paradise comes from. And because that first book is definitely a kind of a journey, um, Paradise Road seemed to be a good fit for that title. So that's a long answer for a short title. No, that's, but it, it gives us a story behind the title, right? Yeah. yeah and yeah, I, and yeah. I think that's what that person wanted was the story of why, because why do we give yeah. our titles to our books, right? When we're writing right. a book right. of any, right. any sort, poetry, yeah. uh, autobiography, memoirs, sure. uh, nonfiction. Yeah. Well, how do we get our titles, right? Yeah. So I yeah. think that's so what this person was looking for was the answer. And you get yeah, the answer. The, like, and the second title, I'll try to be a little briefer, but um, the box must be empty. That actually came from um, a, a talk that I had with my therapist early on. And one of the things that when I first went to see him, his, his e quick and easy solution to my grief, his suggestion was that we have a little memorial service for Jack. And he wanted me to go out and get a little, some kind of little box that I would kind of represent a coffin, I guess, whatever. And we would do this little memorial and my husband would be there and we would, you know, kind of say goodbye to Jack and bury the box. And I remember saying to him, um, I remember for, for, first of all, I was very panicked because I wasn't ready for the step at all yet. It was the grief had just come up and he's like asking me to say goodbye. And I'm like, you know what? I've been denying this goodbye for 20 years. I'm not, I'm not there. But anyway, so I asked, can I put something in the box? Can I put in some photos? Can I write him a letter, or whatever? He's like, no, the box must be empty. Oh. And uh, so that little phrase just stuck with me. And, um, we ended up, I ended up not doing that little ceremony with him because I, I just told him like, I'm, this is not going to help me. I can tell you right now, it's not, it's not what I need. It's not going to work. So we canceled that. But then later on, when I came to the end of the journey, like years later, and I was thinking about um, that little phrase, the box must be empty. I thought it's very representative of, of the nature of grief in that we can't bury live grief and expect it's just going to go away. It won't just decompose like, you know, a, a body work. It stays, it stays very much alive. In fact, it grows underground and it becomes harder and harder to disentangle and harder and harder to process the longer we let it. And it starts absorbing all our other griefs in life, all our other losses and sorrows. Just kind of, if we're not dealing with grief, we tend to just do the same thing with future griefs, right? And so that, that the idea the box must be empty came to me of that the idea that we can't bury our grief we have to somehow process it um when we're ready um but it won't go away if we just try to push it down so that's uh, and, that and, and i love that you say that marilyn when when you're ready uh yeah people have yeah. to understand that what everyone grieves differently mm -hmm. and you know because it makes you uncomfortable uncomfortable because you're we're still hurting we're still in grief you know we can't just take a switch and okay we're going to do it and I like that you shared that story of this person asking you to do it. And then you're like, no, mm -hmm. this is not going to work because you knew yeah. what was going to work for you because it's yeah. your grief, right? It's not my grief. It's not that person's grief. It's your grief. Right. And whether it takes right. 40, 50 years, it's mm -hmm. when we're ready. But I really like right. the, the concept of the empty box because mm -hmm. grief is empty. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Right. 
it is yeah. really empty because like we, I think what we sorry go ahead yeah. no go ahead I was gonna say yeah I think I mean once we've I still I still think about Jack a lot all the time you know there's lots of things that remind me of him all the time and he's he was such a huge part of my life and who I am and he he made such an impact on me that it would be be crazy to think that I could ever forget him or you know you know but he's not it's not like the grief doesn't dominate my life anymore like I still miss him I still wish I, I'd love to have another conversation with him at times but um but because the grief is processed um now I could that the box can kind of rest and I can open it when I want and um it's not it's not ruining my life anymore if that makes sense so but yeah, the grief no, did, it, no, it's it, still it, it's, it does. it's still there that the loss is will all, the loss will always be felt right well and we're, we're not trying to replace people that we lose either right. we're you know and we don't right. want to forget them but at some point our grief sometimes it overtakes what we're living in the present and like yeah. you said like you felt guilty because you were already married again and you were in a relationship and this was 20 yeah. years you know and then yeah. you're like why, why is all this coming up you know exactly. but it could have been something yeah. that triggered or said you know what hey you didn't you didn't say goodbye to me yet you know yeah. sometimes yeah. we get those little messages and little wings I know what my daughter she does that from time to time and I'll I'll, I'll see butterflies or I'll see something and I'm like oh okay I got it I got it yeah okay yeah. you're still here yeah. okay got it yeah yeah so, yeah. so by writing the memoirs, Marilyn, what has it done for you for your life? Um, well, first, well, first, I just it was very enjoyable, um, especially writing the first one, I think, because it was, you know, I was kind of going back to my childhood and revisiting a lot of things. And, and um, you know, a lot of people have commented that even though the content, like the story of Paradise Road, there's a lot of sad things that happened to me. But there's a lot of humor in the book too. And, you know, I, I, you can tell by reading it that I'm not, I'm not wallowing in anything. I'm just sharing the, the journey, but um, a lot of really cool things happen too. And so um, it helped me, I think, look back and appreciate my life more. Um, and then again, having it out in the world is connecting me with a lot of amazing people. It's been great to find readers and, you know, and to share my book. I, it's a funny thing too, because I didn't tell a lot of people my story when I, when I became a Christian and then I got into the ministry, I, I was pretty open about my, who I am, whatever, but I didn't really get into the details of my life. So a lot of my old friends, you know, read this book and they're like, I had no idea that that happened with you. I'm like, oh, I guess I never told you. <laughs> so it's kind of nice to share it, share it. And then with the second book, it's actually, you know, the pub, the release day is coming up April 4th. So I haven't really felt the full, you know, impact of that yet on other readers, but um, it felt really good to just, to, to write an account of it and to realize what I've learned and to, um, yeah, to be able to point people, to, you know, point to share what helped me and maybe point people to some things that might help them. So that's very gratifying to kind of, it's kind of redemptive, right? To be yeah. able to take your pain and use it to help and encourage others. So, yeah. So do you that. offer your books for support, like in, in grief support groups and that? Do you, do you recommend well you know that's a great idea I haven't I haven't even I haven't thought about doing that but um like I said the book is just it's still just you know the pre-order stage it's not out in the yeah. world yet um but yeah that's a great idea and I haven't been to <laughs> I've only actually ever went to one grief support group and it was a total disaster <laughs> 
because I went into this group with another suggestion that my therapist gave me. He's like, well, maybe you should check out a grief support group. So I'm like, okay. So I found one at a hospital and um, I go in there and there's maybe like, I don't know, 10, 12 people and everybody starts sharing their grief. And it's like, you know, I'm Tom and my wife died three months ago and I'm Betty and I'm, you know, my husband died last year. You know, every, every grief was like within a year. And then my turn came and I'm like, um, I'm here because, you know, my fiance died, you know, 20 years ago, <laughs> struggling with it still. And the horror on their faces was just like, I, I felt so um, out of place. And yeah. I think I freaked them all out. And so I didn't even actually stay for the group. I got up. Well, and, I, and I feel that there's not enough support groups with different different time frames of grief yeah yeah you know, we, we I mean, sh shouldn't be able to just go into a support group and say you know what well it's 25 years I know when I went for my daughter it was 33 years and I was and everybody had lost newborn babies and stillborns and mine was 33 years ago and I just couldn't yeah, comprehend and yeah and, and the faces that you do get when it's so many years later they're like like, what's wrong with you kind of yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> why are you yeah. here for like you should have been over this a long time ago and exactly. a yeah. lot of people should people when they're going through grief and we shouldn't mm -hmm. be shooting on anybody we should be opening yeah. up our hearts and understanding that each person is at a different process right yeah. at a different yeah. time frame and, and mm -hmm. I really love sharing about grief because we need that education out there because grief is yeah. a part of life you know, this. We, yeah. we were all born and we're all going to pass. So we're all going to grieve. Somebody's going to grieve us one day. So we yeah. need to have that education out there, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So we do have another question that came in um, about missionary work. Do you mm. recommend it? And how long were you in it for? <laughs> I recommend it. Um, <laughs> I, I love the years that we were overseas missionaries. We, we lived in, um, we went first from Toronto to, to Bombay, India, when it was still Bombay. Oh. And I just, I always had this dream about going to India, even as a little girl, I just was fascinated by India. So um, that was kind of a dream come true. Um, and that's my third memoir is all about that time in, in Bombay. It's not published yet, but it will be. Um, and uh, that ended up being a lot shorter of a stay. We, we had trouble with the authorities after a couple of years and we had to leave quite suddenly. And so kind of left left India to get a new visa and was ne never never was never got sorry never was able to go back um till much you know much much later I went back actually I ended up adopting my son there that was I think the real reason we went there and so I, I went back with him when he was like 17 so he could meet some of his birth family so that was the first time that first and only time I went back to India so anyway that was an amazing time and then we were in London for a little bit and then from there we were sent to um, Lagos, Nigeria, which was major, major culture shock and very hard place to adjust to initially. But we just fell in love with it. We just loved the people. We loved it was some of the, probably the one of the best times of my whole life. And um, again, we got we got pulled out of there unwillingly and sent from there. After four years, we were sent to South Africa, which was another amazing place to go. We were there in Pretoria. Um, when Nelson Mandela was elected. So that was quite an amazing time to be there too. So yeah, so those years of my life were very precious years. And um, I love that experience. And I, you know, in both places, India and Africa, we never wanted to come back to North America. We were just like, just leave us here. We're so happy. We love the lifestyle. We love the, 
everything about it, but um, that wasn't in the plans. And the organization that we worked for sent us a lot of places and then sent us back to the States, whatever. And so, yeah, so I guess um, I'd say if you're, if you feel called by God and you're, and you have an adventurous spirit, go for it. Yeah. Um, well, and there's a lot of call, a, a lot to learn from it too, right? A lot of oh, yeah, shock yeah. And, and traditions and culture yeah. and, you know, yeah. and it's a new way of living as well. And it makes you grateful for what you have when you come yeah. back to a, a, a self-developed country, when you go to an undeveloped country, correct? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I just love that. I just love how it broadens your, your whole, it broadens you as a person, I think, yeah. to, to live in other places and, and um, learn to you know, just learn how other people think and live. And yeah, so I, I loved it. I'm, I'm very, very grateful that I had that opportunity and I wish we could have stayed longer, but yeah. So Marilyn, if, you also write poetry. So what got you into the poetry? Well, the poetry was actually, um, my, my screen's frozen here. Is yours looking good? Yeah, you kind of look like black and white, but I can still hear yeah, you. <laughs> I, I turned to I turned into a drawing all of a sudden. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, it looks like a lithograph. Somebody made a lithograph out of me. So, okay, <laughs> I, well, I guess we'll just let it go. Um, yeah. So the poetry was when I started writing. Writing again was you know I kind of carried these books inside and knew I'd write one day. I always knew I was a writer. I just didn't have time in my life to write. Now I'm a lithograph with yellow and blue stripes. Oh, okay. Um, There's a lot of color coming from you. <laughs> yeah, lots of stuff coming out here. Um, yeah, so, but we were, all the years we were in the ministry, which is over 20 some years, um, our lives were insanely busy with people and appointments, like every day, all day, seven days a week, um, from morning till night. And so I just didn't have the space to write. So when I finally, when we, when we got out of the ministry and moved back to Canada, it was when I finally um, felt like I had time and space to start writing. But um, I started with, yeah, just kind of writing short little bits. And then one day I just, a poem just kind of came to me and I wrote it down and, and it just kind of came out fully formed. It was like, wow, that's amazing. And um, that kind of got me into the poetry thing. And so for about, for, I don't know, two, three years, I was writing poetry pretty much every day. I'd sit down and either write a poem or, you know, revise and work on a poem that I'd already written. And, and um, I think it was very, like, I loved it. It was very, um, it was, I think it was very key to my writing journey. It helped really help me to polish my writing skills. Cause when you're writing poetry, you're, you're aiming for, you know, description and concision and word choice and whatever. And I think that made me a better writer when it finally came time to start writing my books. I haven't, written poetry for a while now like I've really been caught up with the book writing and I really love that but I do think sometimes I think oh, I should try to get back into poetry because it was it's a whole different I don't know I think you're using a different side of the brain it's a whole different yep. way of writing it um, is yeah and I kind of miss it but at the same time I love I love the memoir as well memoir writing as well so so when you're yeah. writing poetry is it about grief is it what is it about grief romance love um the poetry was like it was it was all over the place like it's kind of like whatever came to me um I did I, I did write quite a bit of uh, a poetry about as I was processing the jack grief still I started um writing some poetry about that and 
that was really helpful just in, in kind, of, kind of clarifying some of my deeper feelings about, about him and about the loss and about why it had affected me so profoundly. But then I wrote other poems just about all kinds, I mean, just random things about day-to-day -day experiences. And um, yeah, so one thing I love to do is I just like to, like I had a big old fat dictionary and I would just, I'd like to just read the dictionary and find an interesting word. Oh, that, uh, yeah. And, cool. and use, use that word, you know, like I remember a poem called Accelerando, which is a musical term for speeding up and writing and just taking that word and letting that be kind of the jump off point for, for a poem. So I, I wrote a lot of poems with kind of the, that word prompting. Okay. And yeah. And then, yeah, just all different kinds. So I kind of yeah. like that word prompting. Yeah. 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 yeah I kind of use pictures like a newspaper or something I'll see yeah. a picture and then I look within the picture and okay. then kind of like the it, the words come out right like there's like a journey yeah. there there's a love romance there's I've been yeah. mad at you like kind of in the image like you can tell with the body language you know so I, I never yeah, that's cool it like that with the dictionary and it's a good way to educate the mind as well yeah like for sure new words add your vocabulary and yeah yeah and so, look at a word from all sides and angles right yeah right yeah it's really interesting yeah. So I think it's a good time to ask you, Marilyn, what would your tea be tonight if I ask you what your tea is? So what three words would you give me for the TEA? Um, the first word that came to mind was travel, just because I have done a lot of traveling in my life and wish I could do more. These days I'm not, but um, I do get to travel in my mind a lot, um, revisit places I've been and visited before. Um, the E, um, you know, endurance <laughs> yeah. oh yeah. I like that and that goes um, with what you do yeah well endurance it, it has a lot of meaning for me but um without I, I don't want to sound like I'm uh wallowing in stuff but my life has had a lot a lot a lot a lot of challenges and and even now like from a distance my life might look free and easy but there's a lot of stuff going on in the background um with family members and stuff that's been really tough really really tough some of the toughest stuff ever maybe the toughest stuff ever. And um, a lot of times I just feel like, you know, my theme word is just endure, like enduring it, just carry, you know, carry. I pray a lot and try to live in the moment, try to live in the day, try not to project too much in the future, but just, you know, endure. And life does feel like a long, long marathon at times and you have to keep running. And then a three words came to mind. Uh, one was agape, which is you know, the Greek word for, for love. Um, and one was affection. Um, and one was attention. So I don't know of those three, which I probably pick one each, a different one each day, depending on the mood I'm in. But but they all um, kind of go together with love. If you put the three together, yeah, right? I guess so, yeah. Attention, attention and attention of the yeah. love that's missing. Right you know right. yeah and the yeah. endurance of life pursuing and enduring continuing on praying the love yeah. of praying you know yeah. and a lot of people mis misunderstand pray prayer you know mm -hmm. we don't have to fall to our knees to pray we could be mm -hmm. in the shower we could be praying crying outside in the rain we're praying you know yeah. there's no perfect place to pray for prayers right you know, right. and travel, it is exactly what you've been doing is you're traveling, and you're traveling mm. through writing, you're traveling through your stories, traveling mm. through life, traveling through your children, you know, 
and we seem to overthink what we actually have within us. And this mm -hmm. is how we serve tea is we serve what we've done and what we've gone through. And that's mm -hmm. why I can't tell you what your tea is, Marilyn. You can only tell me what it is because mm. I don't know your story. I don't know your yeah. grief. I don't know. Right. So I, mm. it's not right for me to say, you know what, this is your tea. I see yeah. this from your yeah. story. Da, 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 da. That's kind yeah. of like you should be over your grief. That's mm -hmm. we can't do that. We can't right. be giving people the advice of something we don't even understand ourselves you know yeah something right. we've never gone through and yeah. I really yeah. want to thank you for sharing that that's a strong tea and I really like it. and I've never heard that word before the the agape, agape? agape? I've yeah, so I think it, it. yeah so there's different the, the Greek language has like four different words for love um agape love is just kind of the unconditional love that you that the kind of love that we're just that God has for us and that we're, we're to have for other people is just agape is just loving people unconditionally and showing love by action and so on um storge is another greek word for love which describes the love between parent and child and um phileo which we get the word philadelphia from and what that 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 kind of love is kind of the brotherly love affectionate friendship love that we have and then the love that we often Think of first is eros, which is erotic or romantic love, right? So, all four are you know, described different. I think it's, English is kind of lacking that we don't have more words for love, but right. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I kind of like it because I think the word love is overrated. I think too many people overuse it, and oh, yeah. they lose yeah. the meaning of what love is. And I say this all yeah. the time when someone tells me they love me, tell me another word. Give me another yeah. word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So what has your uh, your writing skills taught you about yourself? Like you write poetry, you write the memoirs. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you write articles? Do you do any of that stuff, Marilyn? Um, I write, yeah, well, I, I write, try to write like standalone um, essays and things like that too. I, you know, people always ask me like, when are you going to write a novel? And you would probably be such a good novelist. And I'm like, you know what? I don't think there's a novel in me. Like I, I'm not, I, I have, Lots of writer friends now, which has been really fun getting to know writers and stuff. But I am so envious of the people that, you know, they they have all these characters popping up in their mind and they have these scenes that come to them and these storylines that come to them. I'm, I'm just not like that, but I can draw a lot. I've had a lot of cool, amazing stuff in my life that I can write about. And that's what I love to do. Um, yeah, so even with my even with my shorter pieces, standalone pieces, I call them, they tend to be memoir type things yeah basically well, and so. i think that's why we're all different right we all have our yeah. own unique writing skills in that and yeah we all were yeah. the same then we wouldn't have all these different types of books out there exactly you exactly. know yeah. so we need yeah. those categories and you're my first memoir guest that i've had on oh, in four years well, I hope so i'm not your last so, no yeah. you just opened like the new book of worms because i think yeah. memoirs are another way of sharing storytelling as well absolutely because yeah. they're they're based on facts they're based on yeah. the truth like yeah. you said you know? Yeah, and the, the cool thing about a memoir is you're getting to kind of vicariously live someone's life alongside them or watch them, you know, but and with a really well-written memoir, it's not just the person telling you what this happened, that happened, whatever. There's this element of looking back and reflecting on it and making connections. And I think we can learn so much about other people and about ourselves by reading you know, memoir, like memoir is my favorite genre to read and has yeah. been for years too. Um, and um, 
And that's why it's like, I just feel like, wow, I'm so privileged to get to kind of jump into this other life that I'd never get a chance to experience and have somebody who's put the time and, and effort into crafting a, a great memoir and, and telling their story um, in a way that I, I, I find it way more satisfying and interesting than most fiction for me. Yeah. So, well, yeah. and you also watch a lot of documentaries too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. You like the, yeah. the real life stories. I love true life stories that are hard to believe, but true. Yeah. I love that. And stuff. there are a lot of them that are hard. Yeah. 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 For sure. So you've received some awards as well, Marilyn. What type of awards have you received for your writing? Uh, well, Paradise Road has won a few, like won some, um, I don't know, indie book awards, independent. I can't remember, I can't remember the titles now. Book Excellence Awards, whatever. Um, yeah, my publisher entered them in the diff different categories, so it won one in a couple categories. I think it won for Young Adult Adventure, even though it's not really a young adult book, but it's a young adult protagonist, obviously. Um, yeah, and then I've run, um, I've won some awards. I won some writing contests with just standalone pieces. Um, it's always fun to win first prize and something. And um, I was, I didn't win in this case, but I got, I got, I got published by this, this online journal called Long Reads. Um, it was a longer, a longer piece I wrote, almost 7,000 words about going back to my parents' house. They lived there for like for 60 plus years. And my mother was in the throes of Alzheimer's and my dad was in denial. And um, my brother and I, he came from the island, Vancouver Island and I came from here. and. We flew back to Edmonton where we grew up and had all these memories. And we were back in this house together and we had a 10 day limit to empty this entirely packed, 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 huge old house full of, well, basically my parents never threw anything out. So anyway, so that I wrote the story about that and it was very um, cathartic and funny and sad and whatever. And I was really, uh, really happy with how the story turned out. And I had a hard time finding a place that would publish it because it was so long. And then Long Reads found it, took it and liked it and published it. And then they nominated it for a Pushcart Prize. And I didn't win the Pushcart Prize. There's tons of nominees and not that many winners. But I, I know that was kind of my big thrill last year was like, wow, I'm a Pushcart Prize nominee. So that felt good. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. always nice to be nominated too, right? Sometimes just for sure, yeah. nominated is yeah. a big win because you're like, oh, really? My style? Somebody, like, thinks it's, somebody thinks it's yeah, good enough to maybe win, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and writers, I mean, we need that because writing is kind of a lonely, you know, lonely activity and um, you put a lot of hours in without getting a whole lot of encouragement. And very often writers will say, you know, as they, the people around them often are very disinterested in reading their books or whatever. And um I, I feel like I've been really fortunate that way. I've had lots of um, family and friends that have really been supportive, but but still, it's really nice to get um, outside recognition. So, well, I think yeah. by writing a memoir, you have that support, right? Because it's based on facts. It's based on truth. Yeah, you we're know, a yeah. non-fiction or fiction book. They bring yeah. in the characters and the scenes and all that. And family and friends are like, okay, well, that's not my cup of tea. You know, like I, I don't really, you know, I don't like you know science fiction monsters right, and right genre, and, yeah different genres you know yeah, yeah so by writing memoirs it's actually based on true stories so it's based on your life so yeah. I think that's where the support is more for a yeah curious there's a curiosity there I think is people that know me are like oh I like tell me more about yeah 
That or did you write episode. about me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. Did you change my name? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the first thing, right? So you also yeah. received a, an award here for your book covers. So is that for the Paradise Road? Yeah, um, I, 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 it's funny. That's really like I think my publisher put that on my bio and not me. I wouldn't put it on my own bio because I, I did supply the picture. The photo of me um, was one of the. I only had like three pictures from that time in my life. I didn't travel with the camera. I didn't, you know. Uh, but I found this this photo that kind of dropped out of this box of papers one day while I was writing the memoir, and it's like, wow, well, I hadn't. I didn't even know I had this picture, and it's perfect for the cover. So, but the, the credit to the cover design goes, I think his name is Troy Hunter or something. And he, he's, um, he's the guy who does cover design for, for Lucid House, um, my publisher. So yeah, he did a great job of putting it all together. But, you know, I love, I, I think I love the cover of the second book even more. I hope it gets some recognition. Um, and I did get, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that my publisher is very open to input from me. And if I don't like something, She'll like, like, okay, we won't do that. And so um, the guy who was designing my book cover for the box had a bunch of different ideas that I wasn't too keen on, but he found that image. He'd done it in kind of some dark, somber colors. I'm like, you know what? It's a little too dark. Like the the title alone is heavy. Yeah. The, the subtitle is, I'm, I'm, I think it's a memoir of a complicated grief, spiritual trauma and ultimate healing or whatever. I'm like, you can't have those heavy words and a heavy image with heavy colors. So I said a color palette and he used that color palette and then I love how that cover turned out. So it's kind of very collaborative. So yeah, both yeah. covers are really nice and relaxing. I find that they're really calming colors. Like they're not like a, mm. they're not heavy, right? And like yeah. you said, the titles of the covers are, you know, Paradise Road. And like I said, like before we started uh, going live, I said I found a beautiful song by Dolly Parton called Paradise yeah, Road. Yeah, and yeah. I, as soon as I heard the song, I was like, oh my goodness, this is like starting that's a the new right life song. over and, you know, yeah. making a change in your life. And and that's what you've actually done is changed your life by sharing your grief. Yeah. yeah. Changed my life a few times. <laughs> right. And, and that's a lot of like, where you have to say, you know what? Well, it, it, we need to change and things need to change. You know? yeah 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 sure. so marilyn any final words before we wrap up we're almost at the hour here any yeah. kind of words yeah. that you would like to share with the audience out there that will watch the replay and that are tuning in right now uh about writing memoirs any yeah. three, maybe give them a couple tips or something or about writing or on... about reading or well first i want yeah, to say sure. if, 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 they're, if they're just if they're a reader and you've never read memoir or you've you know it's kind of a new genre for you i want to encourage you to check it out. Um, you know, not all, not all memoirs are created equal. Some are better than others, just like, you know, any, any book genre. Um, I know really popular, kind of one, one of the all-time favorite memoirs that people often reference is called The Glass Castle. Uh, that's a nice start. I say start with this one. Um, <laughs> or uh, if, you, if you don't mind, um, or uh, The Glass Castle is, is highly recommended as a, it's been a great introductory um, memoir, but what a great memoir can be. Um, yeah. As far as writing, I would I guess the biggest advice I'd give an aspiring memoir writer is um, don't write your memoir too soon. Like if you're still kind of in the thick of things, um, give yourself time to grow through those things and kind of come to a point of some perspective and resolution because sometimes I'll read memoirs where people are you know there are a lot of memoirs out there kind of they're 
there are a lot of about um, dealing with trauma and you know depression or addiction or um, you know um, emotionally abusive relationships or whatever it is you know and if and those are great I mean people people should share their story by all means but I think if you can tell when someone's kind of still in it yep and they've got they still have bad attitudes and resentments and you know readers pick up on that really easily um so you don't want to write a book that people will be kind of looking at you and going boy she's got a lot of junk she needs to clear out of her heart yeah she hasn't and, and she hasn't started her healing process yet yeah yes yeah, so, yeah so make sure that's done but while you're waiting for that write 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 because the the more you write um the better you get and um you want to bring some developed skills to the story as well as a story that you've uh, you know a life story that you've um, moved through and processed. So I'd say that. Yeah. So, and is there a time limit on writing a memoir? A time limit? I guess, I guess uh, as long as your memory is still working, um, you can still write that memoir. I'm getting a little nervous though because my fourth memoir is about our years in Africa. And I started it about halfway through the first draft and then I put it aside and I haven't opened it for like two years now because it's just been doing different things, maybe even longer. And I'm, I keep having this panic feeling of, what if I go back to it and I can't remember things anymore because I'm working entirely from memory. I don't have journals. I don't have notes. I don't have pictures hardly. It's just all from here. So yeah, you got to have, you, your brain has to be working or else you're, you're going to end up making things up, which is not what memoirs are supposed to do. So yeah. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and, and, and thank you for sharing that because anybody out there who's writing to heal there's a difference between writing and healing and writing and heal you know yeah exactly and it's like you said if you're still in the junk and you're still in it do you really want somebody to read all that anger all that rejection all of that shame yeah all that self-pity whatever it is read that and they'll be like oh like it's like right like yeah one of my one of my hobbies actually I go on goodreads all the time and I I love reading book reviews there by, right by other readers right and I always go I always check out you know what what the latest memoir what the reviewers saying and review you know the reviewers the readers can be kind of harsh but they they call out people if they just feel like they're you know they're that they seem they seem entitled or you know unaware or yeah grudge you know carrying grudges or whatever so yeah you want to you want to write from a you know, pure of a heart as you well, and, and you're bringing up something really good. Before we wrap up, Marilyn, I want to get into the book reviews because as an author, our reviews is what gets the book seen, right? Mm-hmm. So if we're getting a heavy review of saying this person, you know, like, oh, like a lot of reviews that are saying the same thing, but in different ways and saying, you know what, this yeah. person who wrote this book is really heavy. They're still in it, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for the longest time I was in my story and I had to heal in order to get on my story. Yeah. So when we're in it, we're in that guilt, that shame, that victim mode, that you did this, you you know, the blame game. Now, when we're on our story, we're like, you know what, this happened to us, but this didn't change us. This, this gave us the steps to be who we are now. Give us the voice, give us that, you know, is that how you felt when you shared your memoir? Like after you wrote your memoir, you felt like you were on it. You were proud of it. You know, like I went over. Yeah, I definitely did. And it kind of, it kind of takes on its own, like it kind of becomes it's outside of me now, right? It's not, it's kind of a separate thing. And um, I love, I love that, you know, finding out that someone who lives, you know, halfway around the world is just read it or whatever. It's just, it's just kind of thrilling and it doesn't belong to me anymore. It's, it's, I, you know, belong to the world now. So 
that's kind of cool. So yeah, yeah, but yeah, but do write. I mean, I just if you yeah, with whatever point you're at in your journey, start writing, but don't expect to to you know publish what you the first stuff that comes out. I guess is right. <laughs> like. I know yeah. when I wrote for my first time, I wrote in an anthology and I wanted my story out so much that I just dumped the garbage. I just yeah. like, and yeah. then we had to break it up into chapters of making yeah. the stages and going through the process. Because when we're writing memoirs and anthologies and, and based on facts and true stories, yeah. we actually go through that again. You know, yeah. you relive yeah. those moments. You're like, oh, yeah. I remember when I did this. I remember, you know, the the moment, the smell, the you know, you yeah. relive it. Yeah. So yeah. when you wrote your first one, I'm sure that's what you went through is you went through the process of those moments, those special yeah. times. And yeah. And what, you know, what was really cool is I, I, I did have a fear that I wouldn't remember. And like I said, I didn't have, I didn't have any documents to work with. I didn't like, some people are really good about journaling. Whatever. I didn't have journal. I had, I kept journals at times, but I didn't have any, have them anymore. I didn't have a lot of photos or anything. And so um, it was just ha had to come from here. And I was kind of worried that I wouldn't remember enough. But what's really cool is once you start to put yourself back there, the memories sort of just come back um, a lot more than you you might think. So that's, that's pretty cool. And memories yeah. are beautiful to have. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So any final sure. words, Marilyn, before we wrap up your tea time tonight? Oh, no, it's been really delightful talking to you. I really am so glad that we connected and um, thanks for putting together that great video and thanks for your thoughtful questions. And yeah, I feel like we could, you and I could sit and talk for a long time about, about <laughs> all this stuff. Miss Liz just kind of opens that door where everybody, it's like coming to grandma's house and you just want to stay and have cookies all night, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. More tea, more tea. Yeah, no, I really appreciate um, the, the time that you've given me and um, yeah, I appreciate you and what you're doing and um yeah wish you all the best and well thank you, you so much and yeah, thank you to all the and thank you to all the audience and supporters of miss liz and all of my tea time guests if you if you're interested in having any of these guests please reach out and and you know their their platforms are there all of the information to contact and have them on your show is all in the descriptions as well uh, again, we are on Zoom. We went to Plan B tonight, and we always have to have a Plan B in life because <laughs> if you don't, Plan A sometimes doesn't always work. So I always have a Plan B. My Oma in the back there, that is right beside the little girl of Miss Liz. She always told me to have a Plan B, so that's what yeah. Miss Liz does. Um, and I really want to thank you, Marilyn, for sharing and being open and giving us some education on memoirs. And for anybody out there who would like to write a memoir, you know. Mm -hmm. Now they have some tools and some tips. And that's what we're here for, is to give the tools and tips. And again, a nice, beautiful, strong tea. You taught me some new words. So I'm going <laughs> to use those words on people that want to say, I love you. Well, you know what? Watch this tea time and you'll I see what kind of words you. you can use. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much. Well, thank Great. you so much. And I will see everybody tomorrow for a second rescheduled tea time with Amanda Ellis. And she'll be speaking about tea parties. That's right, tea parties and a lot of psychedelic uh, ways to heal your trauma and stuff like that oh. so we will be speaking a heavy deep tea tomorrow so if anybody is triggered please be aware that miss liz is not offended if you do not tune in and listen to the show i'm only here to bring awareness and to inspire people that your story does matter too and then i'll see everybody thursday for three incredible stories we'll be starting off at 10 a.m 3 p.m and 7 p.m 
at 10 a.m. We'll be in Kenya, and then we'll be jumping into the United States for the afternoon and the, and the evening. So we'll be jumping all over the world on Thursday. So again, I will see everybody tomorrow night at 7 p.m. for the next set and rescheduled tea time. And again, Marilyn, thank you for joining me for tea time. And thank leave you. your questions and comments in the bottom where you're tuning in from, because Ms. Liz always wants to hear that. And I will see everybody tomorrow night at 10 a.m. And Marilyn, don't leave. I will talk to you in a few minutes. I'm just going to wrap up the lives. Sure.